Hello there. I'm Grace Chung with my co-host Lina So Eng. Good to have you join us on the Curious Podcast, featuring successful women in tech and science in Asia. We unpack their journeys and also take a look at what lies ahead for their industry. Hey, Grace. You know we've had some very interesting guests, entrepreneurs, scholars, researchers, patent holders, all women breaking new ground in their tech and science passion. Yes, Lina, and today I'm so happy our guest is a little bit different from all the rest. She's globally recognized as a diversity advocate and community builder. She was also inducted into the inaugural Singapore Top 100 Women in Tech 2020 in recognition of her community advocacy work for WIT. Indeed, she has been advocating for minority and Muslim women for six years now. And she is a woman with a mission. Welcome, Nurul Jihada Hussein of the Cadet Project, which is a non-profit organization. Yeah, good to have you join us. Well, hello, Grace and Lina. Thank you so much for having me on board. I'm very excited to be here. So, what fascinates me, Nurul, is that you're a non-techie. You have an MBA from SMU, a Master of Arts from University of Edinburgh. And Cadet's mission is to quote to provide social and economic opportunities for minority and Muslim women to gain access to and opportunities in the tech industry. So, can you elaborate how you started Cadet, and when did the idea really hit you? Great question. I think there there's the long answer, the historical answer, and there's the short answer. The short answer is that in December 2015, I was given the opportunity to pitch. For a scholarship, as as part of a scholarship program that Mandaki had run, and as part of that, I was asked to pitch a social impact project, and that was really the beginnings of the Kodet project. And they funded that instead of giving me a scholarship, and that was really built on the ideas that were inspired by Black Girls Code in America. So that's the short answer. The longer answer is that as a minority Muslim woman myself, I think my experience has really shown me that there are so many women who I meet who are genuinely amazing, who are very hardworking, who are brilliant, who are talented, mm. but who don't have the access and the opportunities that they should have. And I think this was a good coming together of those aspects of it that I was given the opportunity to, in many ways. Build the community that I wanted to be in as well. Wow, that is so interesting to do this, to have the energy, to have the commitment, and then you started with such a small、um, group of people as well, right? Well, that's that's definitely true. So it was just me really for the first six months, and then I had the initial founding team of six people.、Um, we've grown over the years, and now we're at twelve. All of us are still volunteers, so we all have full time jobs outside Cadet, and we do Cadet. Kind of on the side, as it was our passion project, and that really enables us to channel all the funding that we receive into our programs. So our programs are generally free of charge; they open access, and we're trying to enable women, no matter where you know they're coming from in terms of their age or the stage they're at in terms of technology, to get to the success that they deserve. Yeah, yeah. I looked at the courses on the website. I mean, I could see myself taking some of them as well. <laughs> Online payments, HTML. Design, UX, social media. Thank you. You have several collaborations going on now with Google, Facebook, and Mandaki. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on what you do with them? 
Sure. So if you look at what we do as a whole, we're really built on three pillars. The first pillar is community building, and that's talking to people who are part of the cadet community and providing them a safe space to actually become a woman in tech and a safe space to explore the kind of success that they deserve. The second pillar is on reclaiming narratives. So it's really taking back the conversation and taking back the power when it comes to representing what kinds of women we determine to be successful or we determine, or we determine to actually deserve a place in the narrative of success, especially in technology. Mm-hmm. And the third pillar is on skills building. So for that, it's actually providing women with different kinds of experiences in which to build tech skills like we've run the only women's hackathon in singapore in 2018 and 2019 pre-covid so these were nice times to look back yeah (laughs) yeah we've collaborated with some of these organizations like for example facebook that's been a collaboration that's been going on since 2018 when uh, i was part of their facebook global leadership program and they provided funding and honestly that was a very emotional period because we had been quite a small organization. We've been trying things at a small scale and Facebook's belief in us and the fact that they chose us really enabled us to get to the next level because they were the first large tech organization to say, well, we really believe in what you're doing. We're going to help get you to your next level. What are the kind of things that you need? So we use that to fund a lot of different projects, including the hackathon, including our success looks like this photo shoot where we created stock photos that reimagine what tech would look like if minority and Muslim women were actually dominant in the tech industry. Um, I think recently, last year, we got funding from Zendesk. And that was powerful because during COVID, we pivoted and tried to provide more support to women who are being impacted by COVID, especially students and Mm. small business owners. And this year, we're doing a second round of it, which is focusing specifically on students because one of the things that I think we're really worried about is that COVID is going to have long-term economic effects because of the choices people make now Mm. out of the fact that it's having a huge impact on people whose families may be impacted through the loss of jobs. And that means loss of choices. For women, it's, you know, do I go to university or do I start work? Do I then pursue a job that is going to hire me now or do I upskill and take a job later? Should I even stay in the workforce? And I think these are questions that will really have long-term impact. And, you know, the funding from Zendesk was, it was very emotional because we weren't expecting it. I cried, oh. Zendesk cried, and so it was like a massive crying session because it was it was so emotional. We didn't expect it. We hadn't pitched for it, but they said, well, we believe in you. Let's do this. And that's been very powerful to be able to say, well, yeah, I think we can get behind you and like, you know, we want you to do it in the way that you imagine success. And we've worked on other collaborations with organizations like Dell, Deloitte, Google, and often it's people from these organizations that say they believe in us. They believe that women deserve success. How can they help? And a lot of the the classes that we've run, the workshops that we've run have been run with volunteers from these organizations. Like Indeed did a Python class. Google has recently run a CV workshop and we've got workshops coming up with Deloitte and Dell. So, I mean, I'm like, thank you, everybody, because we're not paying any of you for this. You're all volunteers too. And that's that's something very powerful. Yeah. And Mendaki too, right? You want to talk about the CLF labs? Yeah, so our involvement in Mudaki has been, you know, kind of, um, especially during the early years of Kodet, something that was quite powerful. So Mandaki was the, as, as I spoke about, I think my initial scholarship funding from the Wurzwan Zafir Awards was given to me 
for Codet. So it was $7,500. And that was the first 18 months of Codet right there. And then Mundaki also with CLF Labs helped us with the hackathon in 2018. It helped us with um, a couple of different projects as well. And we've had some of the, their support and that's been quite nice. Um, I think as well, what we've seen is that we had a recent collaboration with Google that also included Mundaki and Cinda. And it's nice to see that a lot of different organizations are more focused on collaboration. So we're not saying, okay, you know, we're all going to run our own programs doing the same thing. We're saying, actually, a lot of people have identities that intersect. How do we work together with different organizations and create a more welcoming environment for people to work on this together? And I, I, I really like that. I think that's powerful because you're saying, I think that's, the kind of solidarity and allyship we need, we need more of. It's saying, let's work together instead of working separately. And instead of having some of these like divisive narratives on, you know, like who belongs where. Hmm. So Cinda is the Singapore Indian Association, right? Yes. So Cinda, Madaki right. and ourselves worked with okay. Google for our CV workshop. Right, right, right. So it has been, um, you started, as I said, a very small, you know, six yourself first, you know, and then it grew to six people. You had about $10,000 to work with. So um, what were some of the lessons you, you learned to pick up along this five, six years? Rental is a very painful cost. Mm. So I think that was, a, that, that was consistently a big issue for us where we've never had our own space. At the most, we've had rentals either specifically for events or even just on Saturday mornings for three mm. hours. And honestly, that was something that we've always struggled with, at least with COVID, because we can't do things in person. We've had to pivot online. We haven't had that cost. But I think there's no replacement for the kind of engagement you get from women talking to other women and really feeling that that allyship and that like, yes, I believe in you. Like, let's work together. Let's do this. And that we see during the hackathons, like we get a huge range of women. The last time we did it in 2019, it was double of 2018. So we had more than 100 women in 2019. Wow. The age range was 9 to 48. Uh, and I think we were the first hackathon in Singapore to offer childcare. We offered breastfeeding rooms. We offered a multi-faith prayer and meditation room. And I think that creates an environment where women are like, well, it doesn't matter what identity I hold because all like the identity that you bring to the table is treasured and it's valuable and we're taking you as you are. And I, I think that was really reflected in diversity of the people who attended. And the quality and the scale of the ideas was genuinely amazing. And people were really connecting and really committed to trying to get some of these ideas to work. And I love that. I love that. And I wish we could do that now. But, you know, when, when you're separated even by a screen, I think there's a limit to the kind of connection that you can feel, even having someone just really next to you and showing up for you. So that's, that's a current challenge, honestly, that we have. How do we replicate mm. some of these, yeah. these genuine connections? Yeah. yeah, like attracting volunteers, for instance, right? How do you go about that? Well, so thankfully, we haven't really had an issue with attracting volunteers. So I've had very low volunteer turnover, to be honest with you. So I think for two years, my turnover was zero. And hmm. I think recently, my turnover was only about 20%. Hmm. 
um, just because obviously some people in the team had some life changes and, and then yes. they moved on. And for me, one thing that's very clear is that the way I manage my team is to be conscious that, especially for women, there are a lot of seasonalities in our lives. And to be part of anything, you have to have those seasonalities being part of your 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 time in the organization. So I'm I'm clear about it. Like if people are looking for a new job or if they're going back to university or if they're just coping with something. And this has especially been true during COVID. Like you just need to give people the space and the time and they will come back and they will stay with you. And I I really treasure the fact that my volunteers are still here with me, even though it's been very difficult. And I think that more and more organizations and people should look at seasonality as being part of the way that you manage to understand that people are not the same people year in, year out. Mm. You have different challenges, there are different things you need to do and just bear that in mind. So yeah, fortunately, I've had no issues with getting volunteers, no issues really with maintaining my team. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work on my part to make sure that I'm the kind of leader that they deserve to have. As, as much as, you know, I, I, I want to say I want this kind of volunteer, this kind of person, I also have to be the kind of leader that they deserve because mm. my, my committee, my team is made of people from the community that we're in. And yeah. we deserve the best. We, we deserve the best leadership. We deserve the best kind of everything. And I want to try my best to be the kind of person that they can be proud of and that they're happy to be part of my team. So it's a constant work in progress for myself. I read a lot of books on these kinds of things. So it's a, yeah. it's, I'm a work in progress. Very admirable, Nurul. Um, yes, I'm just wondering whether the cadets participants, do they come back to serve to become volunteers as well? So yes, some of the volunteers currently on my team have been part have have been previous participants and that's also one of the things we encourage for like the newer members of the team they should have had some experience with the community so that we can see yeah. if our values are aligned how are yeah. we interacting with the community who do we see the community as being so that's an important part for me that we're not i think social impact and impact spaces and diversity spaces sometimes are led with a top-down approach like this is what we think is right and this is what you mm -hmm. got to do mm -hmm. but when you're actually working for and with the community I think that it's incredibly important that the leadership team be made up of people from the community that you want to be in because that's the only way you get actual buy-in that you get realistic examples of what life is and that's the way that you that you really encapsulate what diversity should mean in leadership so I think it is very possible for that to happen. Like it's very important for that to happen. One of the things that has happened, not just people coming back as from participant to volunteer is that we, we do a lot of word of mouth. So uh, participants tell other participants and then they become new participants and that's beautiful. So in our last hackathon, we had a woman who had come from Malaysia on the strength of the review of her friend who was like, this is great, you should come. And I was like, thank you so much. I think it was like an eight-hour bus from KL. And I was like, thank you. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's really Very great. dedicated. And um, yeah. uh, where, Nora, where, where do you hope to take Cadet Project in the next five years? Well, are we assuming COVID's no longer in the picture? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. We all hope so. Pandemic, yeah. not pandemic, right? Pandemic, not pandemic. All right. So, I mean, this is assuming we can say goodbye to COVID, right, in the next five years. What I'd really love Codet to have is 
for us to exist in a physical space that's actually our own, whether, you know, someone gives that to us or, or like, I don't know, we, we create it in some way. And to be able to show people the kind of skills and talents that we have in our community and for people in our community to have a safe space to come and try out ideas and to learn and to really feel valued in every way. I think that to me has always been kind of like a big dream to imagine what that space would look like physically has shaped a lot of the way that I run things even online and even, you know, on a occasional basis. I'd love for the Kodak project to be something that's actually not unusual for success and that's from our community for a diverse views and interpretations of success to actually be considered as very normal. I'd like for that to happen where you can actually talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, of course this is important. Like, of course this is something that you should do. I'd love for us to have a movement where everyone really buys into that in mm-hmm. five years. Yeah, and you know, um, the, you've touched on a soft spot. I think one of Grace's passions is um, looking after the STEM industry, given her background. I'm always interested in how you can attract, develop and retain young girls and women in STEM. You know, Jafet, what are your thoughts on this? I love this question, Grace, because I feel that the narrative that we have is often, well, why aren't women coming? Why aren't women staying? And the phrasing of that question and the emphasis of that question is often on women as the actors in that problem. But what we really have to understand is that often women are not, okay, not often. I'm going to say women are not at fault for this. The reason why the pipeline has these issues is not due to women. I think that's very clear. And I think that what instead we need to ask is when we say we have a pipeline problem, where in the pipeline are women dropping off? And that's a question that we need to ask organizations at every level, training programs that we need to ask, well, if you're saying that 40% of the people who apply are women and 40% of your hires are women, that's a different problem as compared to 40% of your applicants are women and 5% of your hires are women. And each of these different situations requires a different solution. We need to be very targeted at who's at fault here. And I think organizations are going to have to show up with the data that we need to make that change because we have this generic question like where are the women how do we keep them in the industry we're not addressing some of these systemic problems that happen and i'll give you another another example right like if we talk about i'll talk about breastfeeding rooms i think there are great organizations in singapore like the breastfeeding support groups and things like that and we talk about this like, yeah, it's, it's only a women's issue, but it's not really. What you're talking about is actually how do we imagine women in the workplace and that women cannot be an on-the-side afterthought. Like, is this an empty room we can then convert into a breastfeeding room? It's actually saying, well, you know, if all the senior people and 90% of them are men, actually have their own rooms where they can basically do anything they want inside why don't women who are you know raising children who need to breastfeed given the same amount of space on a daily basis for them to carry out their jobs and 
do the breastfeeding they need or do the work they yeah. need. And I think that's important. We need to reimagine how space is used. And no one's asking this question when it comes to women because okay. we're not thinking of women as the user. I think that's what we need to do. Well, that's very um, uh, long-term thinking that I think we need to embed in uh, companies and senior managers, right? So, I, you know, thank you very much for being with us today, Nurul. And I we hope that the Kodak project continues with its vision to build uh, the ecosystem that you, you want. I'd like to do a shout out for Nurul. Um, so sponsors, hello, hello. Uh, the- <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Kodak project is who you should support, a leader with a vision and flexibility and uh, insights into how uh, workplaces can be much better places. Where can we get in touch with you, Nurul? So we're not on TikTok, so don't look at for us there, unfortunately. <laughs> we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn, we're at The Cadet Project. It's C-O-D-E-T-T-E, so that's us. And we have a website. If you want to go there and click the donate button, that's something that's always welcome. And drop us an email if there's anything that we can collaborate collaborate on as well. So thank you all so much. Thanks for being thank here. You, and that was another interesting leader in science and tech in Asia. Nurul Jihada Hussein of the Kodet Project, unpacking her journey. Love this. Join us again soon for the Curious Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.